Hello out there. Uh, I'm Eric Corrine from The Athletic. This is Jurassic Pod season finale, kind of. Oh. I don't know. How, I don't know how we're marking time on this podcast, but uh, we won't be judge or discussing any Raptors games for a while. Uh, before we get into that, as always, on the uh, on the Zoom link, it's Holly McKenzie. Holly, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. And we'll have games soon enough. Soon enough, there'll be Vegas Summer League games. I know how much you love, treasure, honor, and and value Summer League basketball. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's stuff that is uh, very essential for judging prospects. Talent. Yeah, yeah. Everything that happens in Vegas is... is, uh, is uh, is valid yeah. and true. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, <laughs> including any long-term <laughs> observations that you're tempted to make uh, in Summer League. Uh, we'll get to that. Uh, but since we last talked, the Raptors season ended. Uh, the players, Nick Nurse and Masai Ujiri, all had their turn talking to us and wrapping things up. So we'll try to cover that and put our own thoughts uh, about what's happened and what might happen uh, going forward. And also just have some feelings about the season. We have to have some feelings, too. Uh, well, you can have some feelings. I I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where what my feelings are, other than I'm tired. Um, but let's start with the end, uh, the on-court end. A uh, very entertaining first half in game six <sighs> gave way to uh, a very declarative uh, second half from the Philadelphia 76ers, who won that one going away, win the series in six. Uh, certainly a disappointing way to watch the Raptors uh, go out. You know, like even if they were going to lose on home court, you would have love to see them, you know, show that fight and and really mm-hmm. find ways to stay in the game until 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 the end there but uh they yeah, they really awesome they really see. just sort of fell apart on, on both ends. Uh I think the defense sort of led to the offense, but it's hard when you're falling flat so flat it's hard to, you know, make causation there. Yeah, it definitely would have been more ideal for Joel Embiid to hit a game-winning three Ugh. with two seconds, one second, <laughs> five tenths of a second left to really break everyone's heart. That would have, that would have felt better. Would it, would it? Would it have? <laughs> I, I'm. <laughs> it would have been more painful, but it would have probably felt a little more. Yeah, I mean, it would have increased satisfying. The, it would have increased the satisfying the, kind of pain. <laughs> yeah, we could have increased the. We can build off that vibes instead of the sort of. Uh, sputter, the sputtering into half, the offseason. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, so I don't know. Like it, it's it's hard to know where to start with that game, other than the Raptors' <laughs> defense was never very good, and uh, yeah. at some point the the Philadelphia 76ers really adjusted on how they were gu- guarding Pascal Siakam. They were, you know, trapping him in the backcourt. And, uh, the, I mean, to my eyes, it just seemed like the rest of the guys weren't up to making plays in the, uh, in the four-on-three situations that were pre- presented to them. And that will definitely be an area, you know, obviously this team needs more playmaking and more offense. And that was really exposed in, in the second half of, of game six. 
Yeah, that was a game where it really would have been nice to have Fred. <laughs> like, I know that he hadn't been at his most effective, obviously, during this series. And then the previous games that he missed, game that, I guess it was almost two games that he missed because he left early on. He left in the five? second quarter in game four. Four, game four, sorry. Uh, so it felt it felt like two games without him. Um, even in those games without him, it it felt like, well... If he's not playing up to like All Star Fred VanVleet, like you know, we're not losing it. You're not losing as much as you would have thought if he was healthy. But in that game, when things kind of fell apart, it really would have been nice to to have him in there just as like a stabilizing kind of force and someone that can run the offense, create offense, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, uh, I have to say, like as much as obviously this is a Raptors podcast, so we should be talking about the Raptors. <laughs> And I'm sure Raptors fans tuning in are not tuning in to hear me talk about the Sixers. But I have to say, like, the the performance from Philadelphia in that game was the performance I was expecting them to have had in um, game five in Philadelphia. Those two games in concert with each other make, like, no, sen- be more. make no sense. It's like... The whole momentum rule, all that, like completely, like that's a case for there isn't any. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I would, and you would have expected I, I that a team again. would, per- yeah, <laughs> you would have expected that a team would come out like that in front of their home crowd, like they're at home, they have this opportunity to close it out, get more rest, etc., etc., etc. But the the way that they came out in Toronto in that game. That's what I expected from them in the previous game. And I mean, good for them for, you know, flipping the switch and, and <laughs> avoiding a game seven and wrapping up the series, even if it was a little longer than they would have liked. Uh, but yeah, that was really the the surprise to me. So good for them. I, I, good that they did. I guess my X's and O's takeaway is I'm a bit surprised they didn't get to trapping Siakam earlier Earlier. especially once van vliet went out and and like van vliet's out and then your second best playmaker after siakam scotty barnes has a sprained ankle he's playing Mm. on and and beyond that is a rookie so like it's i I get that they you know they employ joel joel Embiid, and you know if you have joel Embiid, you want to keep him close to the rim and uh a lot of those pick and rolls are are, or not even pick and rolls but like the screen actions um are depend are, are involve Embiid, and you don't necessarily want him 30 feet from the rim as part of getting the ball out of his hands but uh i mean you just saw how directionless the Raptors offense looked and mm-hmm. when you combine that with you know the shooting struggles that they really had throughout the series but especially you know notably like after game <laughs> game one I think like I think they actually mm-hmm. had a pretty good shooting game one and game two to a certain extent like it just it seemed like the way to go they got there and uh you know that the Raptors just didn't have enough answers uh on either end uh yeah it's, a, it's always silly to talk about what if or you know, if if only, but man, if only Gary Trent had been healthy those first two games and Scotty hadn't hadn't been injured, it really makes maybe me maybe, but like I, I, for sure. But game, I'm game, just saying, if all things if all things were equal and they hadn't trapped Siakam earlier, like it was the same kind of schemes for the for those games, I feel like the Raptors may have been the team closing having the opportunity to close out at home. In I mean, they game. almost but again that doesn't yeah they almost did as it was right yeah. like they with, were a with game the, three with, swing. Yeah. I mean, again, if game three goes the Raptors' way, who knows how game four and game five go? I, I do believe that there can be a change in like 
focus and game plan throughout that. But like, you know, the through five games, Philly, like really that, that, Embiid shot was the difference in the in the series. And I'm score. sure that like Philadelphia fans are saying <laughs> if Joel's thumb wasn't torn, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he you know, it wouldn't have taken six games. So yeah, I get it. I get that it's kind of pointless to do that, but yeah, would have been nice. Would have been nice to have a fully healthy series all the way through, but hey, how it's m- the NBA. Yeah, how many of those do we have right now? Uh, nobody's healthy these days. I guess as they I guess say. Phoenix and Dallas like is Everybody's mostly healthy except for Tim Hardaway. Um, but well, Booker was out. And yeah, came no, back. he's back. I guess yeah. he's okay. Anyway, that's the playoffs. Yeah. Like, like you know, we've <clears> seen <throat> deep playoff runs. We've seen how this can happen, and, and more and more, it's uh, you know, these guys aren't there. There are big players uh, who are missing significant time. I mean, Chris Middleton's yeah. out right now. Marcus Smart missed. Game I have two. to say, I'm very upset with our Canadian. Uh, story that's in, that's in the headlines right now. Are you talking about Dylan Brooks? <laughs> yeah, it's very disappointing. Uh yeah, that was I, I sort of agree with Steve Kerr's take there. Like I don't think it was intentional, but it was certainly mm-hmm. it was certainly reckless and you can't do that. I feel like that's a lot of um what we see in today's NBA. Like I'm not saying that every player is uh doesn't have you know, an intent to injure. Cause I'm sure there are times where there is a play that's dirty, yeah. and, you know, someone, but I don't, I think the majority of, of plays like that, the guy isn't intending or wanting or wishing injury on someone, but it's reckless and you can't cross that line of recklessness where someone can get injured. Yeah. Because of and I, I do have like a lot of time for the guys who find themselves in these positions. Like mm-hmm. just because like, how much are in the playoffs? It's just like we need guys to make plays, and like that's yeah, running through your veins. You've lost game one. <clears throat> you you know you can't afford to go down 0-2. At, and everyone home. says no layups, no layups. Dylan Brooks is already a guy who plays on the edge, so that's yeah. the play he makes. Like I, I think you know getting him out of the game was the right call. I personally course, think yeah. it, it probably der- deserves an, a suspension, but I also like. Think it's really hard to ask players to walk walk that line. I I, I just don't don't know what you do because you can't completely like if you if you if you pull them back so much, then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you don't get that playoff intensity and that like you know th- just guys trying to make plays that that you really want at this time of year. That's what makes playoff basketball special, right? Yeah, it just sucks so much yeah. for to see a player be injured, and you know, it's it's just really, really unfortunate. And it's also unfortunate um, for the player that causes the injury because, like you said, uh, they're doing. I genuinely don't think there was an intent to injure, um, but now you have people kind of questioning that player's integrity and intentions, and that's got to suck too. You know, <laughs> like it just it just was an all around unfortunate. Um, incident, and I wish that it hadn't happened. Yeah, um, very much in the unfortunate, although not nearly as reckless, was also Pascal Siakam hitting Joel mm-hmm. Embiid with an elbow as he drove <clears throat> to the to the lane. Uh, you know, Pascal Siakam post game six uh, basically said after the series he was just telling uh, Embiid that it, that certainly wasn't his intention, and as mm-hmm. we know now, it's an orbital bone fracture for Embiid and just and a brutal. concussion, so he will miss at least the first. I mean, he missed game one; he'll miss game two. We'll see where he goes from there. Uh, I know Raptors 
fans think a lot of things and feel a lot of things about uh, about Embiid. But you know, he's a great player, and and you want to see, yeah, I mean, not just great players, but especially great players uh, able to do as much as they can at this time of year, because uh, that's the stuff we remember, uh, like five years from yeah. now, ten years from now. Cheering, cheering injuries is just. Be better than that. Yeah, didn't, is my didn't, take on that. didn't love it. Uh, I was anyway. We don't need to go back into a history of that. Uh, I, I get why Raptors fans felt like they felt about Embiid, but uh, I mean, you don't want to see a, a guy take an elbow across the face. Like you just, you just don't. And uh, yeah, uh, let's get big picture. Injuries suck, man. Yeah, bad injuries. Uh, <clears throat> so Raptors go forty-eight and thirty-four this year. Losing six. Ban uh, elbows. <laughs> if we ban elbows, then then Gary Payton, <laughs> he would be okay because he wouldn't have an elbow to be injured, and yeah. uh, and and elbow couldn't be injured. Uh, a lot of a lot of bad a lot of guys would have to work on their shooting <laughs> stroke without elbows, <laughs> so it might, might be complicated. Um, so big picture, zoom out, finish fifth in the East. Uh, you know, I don't think this was the way the Raptors probably drew up testing a, mm-hmm. a, a an opponent that probably was more talented, certainly more high-end experienced talent on their roster than the Raptors, you know, that maybe they would have thought that even if it was a loss in six, that it, it was, you know, they certainly don't go three down. Uh, they, cer- right. they certainly don't get blown out in three of the games. But overall, uh, you know, how do you come out of the the season feeling about what was a strange, mm-hmm. interesting, uh, and, you know, I, I think most people would say more positive than not Raptor season. Yeah. I think that like going into the season, there were not many people who predicted the Raptors to finish fifth. I may have been one of those <laughs> few that did, <laughs> but there weren't many people who predicted that. Uh, and the Raptors were able to make the playoffs outright, which a lot of people didn't think that they would do. Um, they didn't have to play in the play-in. Play-in for what? Uh, they got they got six playoff games in, regardless of how they ended. Um, and of course, like I think the biggest priority this season was getting um, minutes, time, exposure, experience for Scotty, <laughs> as well as Precious and some of the other younger guys. And they definitely did that. Unfortunate that Scotty was injured in the first of that series. Uh, but they got to have those experiences, which I think was huge. And Scotty freaking won rookie of the year. Like, I think if you're coming into the season, if your goal is to get him experience and to see the player that you've drafted, like to kind of, you know, be proven right, <laughs> I guess, uh, to see his potential in action. Uh, it was definitely a success in, in that way. And also, I think another thing that's really important is just the season that Pascal had. There were so many questions and like doubts about him coming into the season from the outside. Um, and then just the, the Tampa, ugh, what an awful situation that was for him, both on the on the floor, but also off the floor, there was some situations that just weren't really Pascali as we've come to know him with, you know, getting benched and then having a suspension and having a situation with Nick and things like that. So it was kind of like, what's the season going to be like for him? Like, how is he going to take this 
jump as like this kind of taking ownership of this like being his team kind of in a way and i think it was a huge season for him he had that injury which was really unfortunate so he missed the start of the season but since he came back he's had a great season on the court but even more importantly to me maybe not to you or to other people but to me emotionally and mentally he just seemed like he was in a really good place a solid place and you could see his maturity and you also could see the relationship between he and Nick and his teammates I was just I was just really happy for him so happy for him and I know I wasn't there for the for the um end of season press conferences but hearing Masai talk about Pascal you could tell that that was really important to him too and I'm glad like occasionally I would read like those quotes but I I think with that particular quote <clears throat> from Masai, it was more in how he said it that, than, like, mm-hmm. specifically what he said. He just, like, seemed really – You see, he said it multiple times. He seemed really proud, but also, like, really, mm-hmm. like, emotionally affected by what Siakam was able to do this year. I do like how you said, you know – Maybe to me this matters most. You, Eric, don't care about people's feelings and emotional <laughs> welfare, but me, I meant that's that. my priority. So yeah, I, appreciate I didn't. That. I didn't say you. You did say then, you. You you said you. Uh, that the implication was you're talking about you as in me. I'm sorry. As I said, you. I was thinking of the per- like the people listening because the average basketball fan will say ultimately what matters most is like the performance on the court. I was not trying to single you out or even like a specific listener listening to this, uh, to me say this, but you know what I mean? Like I when it comes to athletes, people yeah. always say like, eventually it's about the numbers. On the and court. it and is that's like true, we saw, but- you know, uh, hate to go back to it time after time, but we saw <clears> like the DeMar DeRozan Kawhi Leonard trade, like eventually it, it, as much as you love somebody, they, need to do what they think they can do and to get you to a new place or they can't and you have to find a way to move beyond that but you know certainly from a what is most important on a you know um not you know on a bigger, bigger picture. picture scale like the fact that pascal siakam can like get back from what seemed like a pretty dark place um and, and mm-hmm. a place that isn't naturally him to to being able to be a lot lighter on his feet. I don't mean that physically. I mean it emotionally mm-hmm. while carrying such a big burden for this team. Like that's, you know, his ability to marry those things. Uh, to And being yeah. so honest about it as he spoke with us throughout the season was really such a sign of maturity and, and, self-awareness just really impressive um it was a really cool see i I mean i think overall like maybe in a few years we look back at scotty barnes rookie season and say well that was obviously the most important thing that happened this season but like the most i think it's just siakam in general that i'll remember the most from from this Mm -hmm. year um I, i mean there were certainly some fred moments especially in the first half of of the year, but like mm-hmm. as like a big sort of character arc, like these guys aren't characters, they're real people, but like in, in the sense that we're watching player players and, and humans grow and evolve, like how Siakam did that is really meaningful mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. For for Bar you mentioned Barnes at, at the top. I just can't get over how interesting it will be to see what type and how what mm-hmm. type of player he returns how he returns next year and, and like 
there are just so many skills to choose from. Like, like it's like, <laughs> and it seems like they don't want to choose. It seems like Nick is like, I want everything. To yeah, be which better, is which is which fair, is awesome. but like, is it like that's sort of? I think I asked him about Nick Nurse about that. Like, if you could pick one or two skills for him to work on more than the others and come back sharper than the others. And he basically said defense and offense. So <laughs> yeah, that covers it. Um, Everything. But like, you know. Uh, <laughs> but that's because his ceiling is so high. For sure. That, yeah. Um, it's awesome. And I'm just so curious what they, again, I don't think you have to choose, but like inevitably you're going to spend more time on two or three things rather mm -hmm. than, you know, spending exactly equal time on like every skill that he has. So I am curious what, those choices both by player and team end up being like i i've said a lot that i think that ball handling has to be very close to the top mm. just because i think that's the thing that will really unlock his best offensive skill which is passing uh to me at least um but you know reasonable minds can disagree there yeah i think i'm also just really excited to see how he comes back after his first like professional off season being with this organization, you know, like the Raptors have done such a good job in recent years in the off season of staying connected with their players, of having coaches travel, you know, around the world really to go wherever the players are to work with them, work with them really closely. Guys get together and do like mini camps almost and, and runs in LA and things like that. I'm really excited just to see the plan they come up with for him. And it seems like he certainly has the desire and passion and work ethic to want to do it, you know? So to see where they fall on what you were saying, like what, what they prioritize, but also just to see how much, like he got so much better as the season went on, <laughs> like his ability to learn something, pick it up, absorb it. And, and like, learn from mistakes and not make them again as the season went on was so wild to me. Like you tell him something once and, or he sees something once and it's like locked into his brain. So a whole off season getting to work with this, with this organization, I'm really excited to see the improvement. Yeah. Like personally, if he comes back as a more reliable one-on-one -on -one perimeter defender and like a better half court creator, <clears throat> like if the three point, if the three-pointer's not there <laughs> this coming season, next season, I would, like, to me, that's, it's to me, the that's the not the most important thing. Like, like yeah. I think there's, there's time, now, for the Raptors, like, how do you build a Raptors offense? Like, yeah, it's pretty damn important. But for me, in terms of Barnes re becoming the best player he can become, which ultimately is best for the Raptors in terms of sustained mm. success over years and years at a time and not just like the next one or two years, like the shot is almost, I don't want to say least important thing, but it wouldn't be my like top of list. Like you better be getting mm. 500 or a thousand three pointers up <laughs> every day. Like I'm sure there's a number. He's probably going to do that anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it will be really cool to see. Um, Chris Boucher, you wanted to you wanted to talk about uh, his first half. When don't uh, I want to talk about his first Chris? half was in that game six was just awesome. He was almost at twenty and ten in the first half. Really, other mm -hmm. than Siakam, the only guy really keeping the Raptors in it. But you know, after game one, 
uh, you know, yeah, it's almost like the series mirrored his season, right? Like, 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 the like season? You know, yeah. Sl- slow start, first one or one and a half games or two games, you know, first third of the season, like not very good. The rest of it just mm-hmm. doing, you know, out, all of yeah. the things that he can do that can make a difference, like really, and doing them to like, perfection you know like he really was so locked in in that series and especially like thinking back to the beginning of the season he did not have he had a very like shaky yeah. start and i know a lot a lot of people expected him to not be with the team through the day uh, that was that was um, one of my so i at the athletic subscribe to the athletic um subscribe to the athletic oh no is that your is that your uh, impersonation uh, I, I mean do I, I don't do i sound no, that i don't high? think so uh, by the okay. way, while we're at the subscribe <laughs> to the athletic part, uh, Caitlin McGrath had a story today about the uh, the Blue Jays fan who the gave fans. the Yankees the- fan the ball after the Aaron Judge uh, home run. The very the, little yeah, Yankees I don't want to talk about the Blue Jays or the series at all right now. I, I'm having a difficult time, <laughs> but like that was such a cool moment. And uh, I haven't read the story yet, but that Caitlin thought to do it and got it done. Like that's exactly mm-hmm. what you should be writing about that. That I mean, Caitlin doesn't need my vote of confidence, but I'm excited to read that one and and like I'm I'm really pre- pleased that it exists. Um, so go ch- go check that. And out. And that's why you should subscribe. One to of the one of many reasons, yes. Um, but in my <laughs> I, I reviewed my 15 preseason predictions, uh, and you know it was a mixed bag. Uh, some right, some wrong, <laughs> some 50 50, some will end up being right, just not yet. Um, but uh, that, <laughs> that one is a reference to Drake getting thrown out for touching a, an opponent. Like, I, I that is oh, that is God. definitely going to happen before I'm... I shouldn't say before I'm done covering the team. Who knows when that will be. But uh, uh, I, I expect that to happen at some point within the Raptors' existence. Uh, so not, not wrong, just early, uh, <laughs> is how I'm phrasing that. Um, <laughs> but I said, you know, Goran Dragic and Chris Boucher would be traded before the deadline. And I was 50-50 on that one. And not only did Chris Boucher not get traded, but he became, I don't want to say most important, but definitely most reliable guy off the bench. Um, mm-hmm. and heading into unrestricted free agency, he has made a really compelling case not only to the Raptors to keep him around, but to other teams to maybe try and lure him there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, how do you sort of, how do you feel about that? Uh, I think that we need to see another season with Chris and Thad together because the chemistry that they were able to build in like a month was insane. Yeah, no, I really hope Chris is back. Um Good for him. I mean, more than anything, like, I'm just happy for him that he put himself in a really great position heading into into the summer because it's a huge, you know, huge uh, time for him. And you always want a player to position themselves in a way that will benefit them the best. So very happy for him. But I really hope that he is back. And I think he will be. Yeah. So that seems like a reasonable place to to switch to end of season uh, talk. Uh, as I said, the players, Nick Nurse and Masai Ujiri, all met with the media uh, throng. Um, I love using mm-hmm. that word, throng, um, after <laughs> after the season ended. Uh, a bunch of interesting things come out. But Boucher, you know, talking about his free agency, uh, got me thinking about it. It was actually a question that I asked to Masai. 
uh, it was basically with all these guys, you know, not this year, but the year after that, Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent are, could be free agents. And the year after that, Siakam and OG Ananobi will or could be free agents. So basically, you know, big raises, not necessarily raises, but, but probably in most cases, raises are coming to your core players. Masayu Jiri said he wants to keep this core going. Um, and so when it comes to giving out, out multi-year contracts, to either your own free agents or free agents you're trying to attract with, you know, the, the biggest tool the Raptors will have to do that is the mid-level exception, which is, I think, a, is going to be a tick above $10 million a year. You know, I, I you could see why the Raptors would be ready to give, you know, their guys 10 or even $12 million uh, for one season, but it, it's sort of like the same situation uh, in a lesser scale than the Serge Ibaka situation from a few years back. It's like, we, oh, I, I know, and it's for different reasons though, but it's like, we, <laughs> what are we willing to really spend big on this team? And if you give three years mm-hmm. to Chris Boucher and you give three years to a, a 10, you know, a, a mid-level exception guy, that, means you're probably going to be paying a lot starting in the summer of 2000, 2003-2024. Uh, like, that's when you have to start confronting the luxury tax. And Masai's answer, mm-hmm. for the record, was, well, you guys made us have this press conference two days after. <laughs> uh, let, let me just clarify that uh, I do not choose when Masai Jerry speaks to the media. I have, I have not once been consulted on, on when I think these things should happen. Uh, we, we, uh, you know, I'm mostly joking. We had a joking exchange about him saying, yeah, you would have gotten total transparency had you just waited three weeks, uh, for, for us to have all our meetings. Uh, so that was his way of not really answering the question, which is understandable, <laughs> but a very good way yeah, of yeah, doing no, he, it. He's, uh, as we'll talk about later, he, he knows how to handle a press conference, but, um, what <laughs> are your thoughts about I, I mean, Boucher specifically, oh. but also that sort of <laughs> dilemma in general. Yeah. Uh, well, I like what I like, but I don't like figuring out how to make it work is the problem. Yeah. This is why I just get to talk about feelings and things instead of actually being um, in charge yeah, of money. You're not, you're not Bobby Webster or... or I did think it was interesting though like to hear I, I think you wrote about it actually if it wasn't your piece I apologize but I'm yeah. going to reference one and hopefully it was yours so then you can feel yeah, yeah. pleased that I read it <laughs> uh, I thought it was interesting that you know Masai kind of talks about um, like not being rushed by like, this piece. season yeah. That was you. Okay, yeah. So by like like not not speeding up expectations and like outlook of what he had for the team just based on this season kind of outperforming what, you know, being ahead of schedule, I guess is yeah. a better way of putting it. I thought that was interesting because that makes me wonder I I I think that does have to go into his um approach this summer. Like if he's saying I'm not like I'm not letting this season like speed up our plan, then clearly he has a plan um, in his mind. And I'm not sure how much he's going to deviate from that. But of course you have to deviate if players are 
performing better or are becoming more of an asset. I hate saying the word asset, but like, I I do understand that. I mean, it's just so fascinating listening to like Fred Van Vliet speak. And he says, you know, I think we've done about all the building that, that we are rebuilding. Like he obviously development is coming for everybody, but like, you know, this team doesn't want to, you know, take steps back. And Nick Nurse said, you know, I'm, I love competing for championships. I'm ready to get back in that fight. And Masai Ujiri is like, we want to win a championship. Sure. But I'm not going to be, I mean, I'm paraphrasing now. We're I'm building not going to that. be sped yeah. up. And I, I think it's a yeah. really interesting time to have that approach because like, I think contenders are sort of coming and going and failing and succeeding more unpredictably than I can remember. Maybe this um, and almost quicker, like the cycles well, are. I mean, they certainly are because like. contracts are shorter. Like that's a uh, that's yeah basically why that is happening. And I, I mean, we can analyze millennials and their impatience. Although I have no desire <laughs> to do that, but. Yeah, yeah. Please but not. <laughs> in general, like I, I, I can't remember if I mentioned this last week or, or or not, but like, you know, some of the teams that are still in it, like Boston, I don't think anybody thought was gonna be, you know, maybe the favorite in the Eastern mm-hmm. Conference when we got to the final four at this point. Like whether you think that or not, like they've been the best team in the East for the last four or five months. Um, I don't think like even when Phoenix acquired Chris Paul last year, it's like, oh, that's nice. That'll make them a like a mid-tier playoff team. And then they've been basically the best team in the league for two years, give or take mm-hmm. a, you know, Milwaukee or or however you want to do that. And and you know, in comparison, like the Lakers, the Nets, like all of these top heavy star-laden teams, like sort of flamed out in 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 that way. So I think it's a very interesting time, not to say wrong, but interesting to say that we are not going to be rushed because it would be easy to look at the landscape and say, why not now? Yeah, I also think it's interesting. <laughs> uh, you were talking about kind of the differing, I don't know if it's opinions, maybe approaches to this uh, of Fred and Nick the competitive side coming out and Masai, I also thought it was interesting, the kind of like differing approaches, diplomatically differing approaches of like Fred being like, yeah, like everyone doesn't have to be six, nine kind of thing. Like, like him, him delicately kind of saying um, when talking about adding things onto the team um, that it doesn't all have to be players who fit in that that mold. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, ba- sorry, sorry to take over, no, but he, he basically said, I think like during his, or Van Vliet said during his time here, the thing the Raptors and especially under Nick Nurse have done the best is being able to adapt and being able to do a bunch of different things and have a bunch of different looks, uh, work for them. Like you can think back to that, you know, the, the title run where they played, you know, Gasol and Serge together for a, a lot of minutes. And, and then at other points, it was Van Vliet and Lowry and and playing together with like a Norm Powell or a Danny Green and, and Kawhi at the four. Or, or um, So, you know, the, and Van Vliet's point is like to win a title, you got to be able to play a bunch of different ways. And 
Nick Nurse's answer to that, like, it wasn't as combative as this is going to sound, but it's like, we've just got to teach our guys to be able to <laughs> do more and be able to play in different situations and for the big guys to guard small guys a bit better mm-hmm. and from the and from like for the smaller guys and i use small and you know huge air quotes to guard bigger guys better and i think Masayu jerry sort of struck uh, the balance between yeah. those two points which was look we're not we're not I think he literally <laughs> said we're not discriminating here we're not gonna you know and I mean the very fact that they have Fred van Vliet in the roster right. that they'll they'll face uh, a question about whether to extend him um this this offseason uh and, and you know he also Masai Ujiri also spoke very highly of Malachi Flynn you don't mm-hmm. expect guys to really or front office people to criticize their own players because that helps remove their value to the extent that they have it but I think it's important to remember that this, you know, 6-9 plan or whatever you want to call it, um, happened in part because of circumstance and those were the best players who were available to the Raptors. Mm -hmm. And, like, does Masai Ujiri really like those long athletic players? We can think back to, you know, wanting to acquire a draft pick to get Giannis, or we can think about mm-hmm. to drafting Bruno is like, yeah, I sort of think these long-armed, you know, guys who can cover the court with four dribbles, you know, Scotty Barnes, I sort of think they're the future and they're the type of player I want to bet on when, you know, I have this chance. But he's also the guy who traded for Marc Gasol. He's mm-hmm. also the guy who, you know, extended Kyle Lowry and and has, you know, given multiple contracts to Fred Van Vliet. So I don't think it's necessarily, unless everybody, unless this guy is between 6'7 and 6'10, he's not playing for the Raptors. Well, definitely not, yeah. Yeah. I always just think it's interesting to see, um, especially because on one hand, yes, Masai is definitely right that, like, we expect people to speak immediately after a season ends without having time to like kind of let things fall and see how they're shaking out, have all the exit interviews with players happen, et cetera, et cetera. He's right that you would probably get more information, but of course I don't think they're going to give more information even if they did have that time. But I always, I always think it's interesting in the immediate aftermath because you have differing opinions and differing perspectives just within an, a team organization. And I say team, I'm making like a big circle with my hands because I mean like the players, the the coaches, the front office stuff. Um, of course, there's going to be differing opinions and wants and perspectives just because they're each coming at it from a different, they each, they all want to win, but there's different things within that that make up how they feel or what they think should happen. And it's yeah. always interesting to me to see how they balance that. And like you mentioned, you just mentioned like Masai kind of striking that like middle balance. I feel like that is exactly what he does (laughs) like he kind of always manages to marry the things together that maybe on the outside wouldn't look like wouldn't look as though as though they would fit and i I think someone asked about fred like what like like essentially fit yeah what makes this very not six nine vision six nine player fit and i just love that he was like he's a winner he's a champion like i just love that because yeah, like, imagine anyone saying that Fred doesn't fit on this team. Yeah, and that's why I, like, I think that they will sign him to an extension, assuming he's not going to go the bet on yourself 
Rob- Please, Fred, again. just stay in Toronto um, forever. Raptors, just keep him be a Toronto. Keep him being. Keep him being a Raptor forever. Yeah. I can't even talk properly when I say this because the thought of him not being here makes me want to like scream. Yeah, I'll just go over it quickly. Like, so he has a player option for two thousand god years. Uh, twenty three, twenty four. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's worth twenty two point eight million dollars, and so. He can decline that and sign a four-year extension, which is worth $114.2 million. And like, I know that sounds like a lot. I mean, let's not get it twisted. That's a lot. That's a lot of money, but like the percentage of the cap that it would, it would take is not like a huge raise mm-hmm. because you have to remember all, you know, <coughs> the, you know, barring another catastrophic pandemic that they expect the uh basketball related income all that jazz to go up uh if he were to some reason uh prefer opting in he could get a three-year extension for 88.7 million dollars in addition to the two um years that are already left uh Mm -hmm. he could make more money the other way so i would assume that's the way he would prefer it but you know the raptors have a say in this too but I like, I, I know some people, and I know you don't like the having long conversations about salaries, so let's not <laughs> do that. But some people have blanched at those numbers. And my response is they're not as big as they seem from a roster building perspective. Not also, from just a, look around not the league and look at what the contracts real, are. Like, yeah. And like Fred Van Vliet is a top. 10 hey guys he's a freaking all-star he's like you know he's one of the best point guard defenders in the league and he's one of the best shooters in the league and if he's missing a bit of that like at the rim ability he makes up for it in a number of different ways so you know if and given how much he means to this team and it's you know culture hate using that word but i i think the raptors (laughs) believe in it and and I believe in it too. I just find it frustrating that, you know, every team talks about building a culture that so much that it ceases to mean anything sometimes. But I do think he's a big part of what they're doing. And that's why if I had to bet, um, they will come to an agreement. But what I was going to say is like, to your point um, about Masai striking a balance and like these guys not necessarily seeming like they're on exactly the same page. They, they're not automatons who say the exact same thing. Yeah. Like let's go back to like the conversation about like, is it time to win now? Is there time to win mm-hmm. later? And that's overly simplistic, but is it really a surprise that the player who's won a championship is like, man, I want to get back to winning. And the coach who's won a <laughs> yeah. championship is like, man, I want to get back to winning. And the guy who's responsible for the long-term health and stability and success of this franchise is like, I want to win too. I'm as competitive as anybody, but that's not my job. Like, like my job <laughs> is to maximize Build something this. that's gonna, It's, it's yeah. not to like have this to like exploit to just go, go, go all the time. The point is to know when best to go, mm-hmm. go, go. Um, and that's just a difference in jobs, right? It doesn't and mean also, they're, like, not, they're not personality. in line with each other. It helps yeah. to have a personality that can balance those things out and like can get people to meet in the middle. And I just, Maasai's awesome. Before we get to the Maasai-ness of it all, <laughs> um, is there anything else from Media Day that, that 
or, or not media day god oh, um, not yet the, not yet the, <laughs> end of, the end of season stuff that you really wanted to bring up uh i don't know i just love scotty uh it's not really something to bring up but just yeah. thrilled for scotty what were your highlights i don't, I don't know did anything surprise um, you? Anything delight that was, you? That was my Scotty Barnes impression from, the, <laughs> from uh, end of season. Um, I thought, like, you know, Thaddeus Young really glowing about the organization. Yeah. Um, it means more when it comes from a vet who's been for sure. in a lot of different situations and organizations. And like, On the one hand, like, the vets know to say that stuff. On the mm-hmm. other hand, I don't think he would say it if he, like, didn't mostly feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, so... That was cool. Like, I, I don't know whether he'll be back. I, I did a Q&A today on The Athletic, and I slightly bet on him not being back. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like uh, But, like, it's a lot closer to 50-50 than, like, 20-80. Uh, right. And I, I just sort of think, like, <coughs> you know, the first thing he mentioned was, like, my family's my priority. And then in my head, it's like, well, you'd probably like to have a home base that is closer to your, you know your Memphis or Texas, mm-hmm. you know, sort of home base area. So that's just like a pure guess. But, you know, as we all know, it, a lot of it will come down to what's out there. And Do you ever get sad at the end of at the end of a season? Like, do you ever just look around a room or like think about the locker room and think this room won't be the same next year? Because I always get very wistful about that. Uh, what's a locker room? Well, <laughs> in your mind, I will say. Uh, I do, but I I will say that not being in the locker room sort of chips away at that. Yeah. Um, I think I I, I still, I still talk to the guys. I still have, you know, relationships with the guys, but it's just not as. No, it's definitely. I don't want to get into this whole conversation because it will make me seem like I'm complaining and that's not what I want to do, but it does take some of the, the real life connections and the, you know, weird word to use, I guess, but intimacy, like away from the relationships no it definitely Um, does i know like a lot of people have said to me like oh are you covering the game like in person and i haven't because to me and the majority of pieces that i write and the things that i do uh the way it's set up right now there's no benefit (laughs) to me go in going you know like like it's fun to watch a game live but without having those moments to kind of get guys and ask them stuff um away from the scrum and um you know a lot of ideas come up just being in that locker room yeah uh it's been a while uh but no i i just feel like i always get a little wistful i say little a lot i get a lot wistful at the end of a season because you're almost never gonna have the exact same group from season to season i mean you're not going to you're like like you're just not like even if it's mostly the same like but i think the thing that a few of the guys are gonna change like it's somebody asked me on the q a like over under two and a half new guys. Like, right. That's an well, e- that's an easy over. Yeah. Like, like you know, just by the back end of the rotation, like by the nature and churn of the NBA, it's a lot more likely that number is four or five than one or two. You know. But I just I, it makes me sad to see how much can change in a year. Like, not to totally take this off the rails here, but like looking at Serge because you mentioned him, like seeing his role now in Milwaukee. Yeah. And by role, I mean coming in at the very end of the game. Like, it's just such a different role than than the role he had here. And it changed so fast. Um, and I always get kind of wistful just because you never know when 
you never know when a player will not be with your team anymore or will end up in a different situation or their role will change or their ability will change or, you know, basically anything. You never know what the next season will bring. So I always feel a little wistful at the end of the season, even though overall I genuinely think that if you told any Raptors fan at the beginning of the season, this is what this season would give. Not even mentioning, oh, Fred's going to be an all-star. Scotty's going to be rookie of the year. Pascal will be, you know, discussed in all NBA. People would be like all like falling over themselves for that. Um, So it's been a great season in that sense. But it just always makes me feel very, very emotional, we'll say. I don't know if you were looking at me at the Zoom. I was paying attention to what you were saying. And then you also, totally went no, but, off. But, no, I was I was actually like actively listening to you. I made an effort to do so. But Walter came downstairs, was sitting and looking at me, uh, is now like wiping his eye to try and like clear the hair out of his eye and now has gone to like rolling around and scratching himself with the rug on his back uh which is like the cutest thing in the world to be Um, a beloved dog yeah um on that front shout out to my dear beloved kitty nico who uh passed away uh two days after the raptor season ended uh i miss her i love her and uh i'll always remember her discovered the latest collections from david yerman as seen recently styled on basketball stars like jaime jaquez jalen green d'angelo russell and others david yerman is a celebrated american jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art architecture and the natural world the story of david yerman begins in new york city with david a sculptor and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful design objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Uh, you want to talk about Masai? Masai's cool, isn't he? Um, like, cool isn't really a word you normally use. No, no, with, like, uh, especially an for an executive. Exactly. Like, that's what I. That's what I wrote. It's just like how many guy, like how many executives have like franchise defining quotes, swag, swagger. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I, you know, I don't want to be the guy using swag, but like, like you know, you think about like the ten or fifteen most iconic Raptors quotes or moments of the last, you know, in Masai's era, how many of them come directly from him? Like, it's just... His moments are like... Bob Myers doesn't have that, uh, that, and, like, Bob Myers is great at his job. But, like, (laughs) when you think about the Golden State Warriors, you don't think about Bob Myers. Masai's, like, moments uh, and quotes, whether it's standing on the stage... Uh, outside of tailgate <laughs> with the Brooklyn series of, you know, when this all started, I won't say what he said. We all know uh, whether it's that or like the press conference moments or uh, just, just so many Messiah moments, his collection of these moments with the Raptors is more than than every other moment of every other executive like combined <laughs> across well, like sports. It, you know what yeah, I mean? Like even like Pat Riley, you think about like, 
oh, he dropped the rings on the table in that meeting. Like, it's all secondhand information mm-hmm. that we have about these guys. Like, they're they're mostly in suits and very pensive and not displaying much emotion unless, like, they do get on, like, the championship. They're on, like, at a championship float or speaking at a parade. But, like, other than that, they're, like, very buttoned down, very much not trying to be the center of attention. And when they are, it's, like, actively weird and like Masai is sort of the exception to that there is no better speaker in sport than Masai Ujiri like like flat out I think like no one can make me go from like zero at the start of the conversation to like oh my gosh I'm gonna cry within 30 seconds uh like Masai he's an incredible he he gives so much of his emotion when he speaks like his passion just comes through so so readily and so so genuinely and quickly it's it's the coolest like when you know there's going to be a Masai press conference it's literally must see how many other like gms front office vice chairs vice pr- vice principals presidents like there's there's nothing like that yeah i was watching tim McAuliffe's show on on sportsnet uh, yesterday, uh, Tuesday, and, and I forgot who said it, whether it was Tim or his co-host, but it was like, yeah, when Masai s- speaks, it's appointment viewing. Yeah. And it's like, like, that is that is so bizarre. But the thing I find most interesting about that, though, is like, I think people conflate like his <sighs> charisma and that like exceptional ability to speak and rally with like this very aggressive mindset in terms of team building. Whereas Mm -hmm. I think like his patience and like how measured he is, is actually Masai's like defining characteristic. Like if anything, like sometimes he waits too long, one can argue, or or, like certainly errs on that side uh, of like, wanting more and more information or wanting more and more in a trade, uh, whatever it is, like he, he's a bit slower to act than I think like certainly consensus would have him act. If we were just to like randomly pull mm-hmm. a bunch of like, I don't really want to even say fans, like maybe even, you know, NBA writers or NBA, you know, executives, I would say he airs on the slower side of things, but I think, a lot of people lose that in the moment where he's speaking because it it very much is like, yeah, we're building this and we're going <laughs> to win. Like, I believe in all these guys. Pascal, I'm going, I'm fighting with him. Fred Van Vliet, he is like, you know, his his heart and his determination, that's more than 6'9", baby. And Scotty <laughs> Barnes, he's 20 years old and he already did all this. Like, it's like well, why aren't you trading your next four th- first-round picks for the final piece of this championship roster? Uh, yeah, it's, that, it's You so really have to, like, take a backtrack. It's like, actually, that's not what he's saying. That's just how he's saying it. Mm-hmm. No, it's really interesting because, and again, like, no one wants to win more than Masai, both because it's his job, but also because it's how he's wired, you know? But mm-hmm. he's able to, in spite of that, not... Like he's able to always see the the bigger picture, the biggest picture. And that's something that I don't think I could ever do. And I think it's really, it's what makes him so good at what he does. Uh, but man, the press conferences along the way, just a moment of appreciation. <laughs> They're incredible. Yeah. They're incredible. Um, before we wrap up, uh, I don't know if you have one. I'll give you time to think and I'll go first. 
my hot take for the season. Ooh. Last year, Blake and I did, uh, uh, I forgot if it was the last episode. It was one of the last epises. It was, um, we stole it from the Ringer Fantasy Football Show, or I Would have been it. good to tell me this before, yeah. <laughs> right now, no. Eric. <laughs> the idea was basically takes <clears throat> that we either, like, really believe or kind of believe that we, it was the take purge. That's what it was. So, like, we didn't have to, like, absolutely 100% of okay. believe them, but just the, the thing we kind of feel about the season um that might that be Malachi will be in the rotation yes, th- and that a- is that is so something that you believe that maybe didn't come to pass or something I do that believe that believe. but yes yeah. yes so you see my version of that is if Yuta Watanabe would have been healthy mm-hmm. and and given 15 minutes per game for 10 games in a row he would have been a very useful rotation piece for this. And instead, he's most mm-hmm. likely going to be heading to another Don't say situation. That. Well, I, I think know. that's probably true. I, I, I'm not, I can't rely on sentiment to, you know, think about roster analysis. So that's my take, Purge. Um, yeah, you, yeah, you've been Utah Hive since the beginning. Yeah. Also, oh my gosh, this isn't about the Raptors at all, but we have to talk about Matteo Roach. Uh... Yeah, so do you have any other or is Malachi your, your Oh um purge? sorry <laughs> sorry I got distracted. Uh Malachi for sure. Um Fred Van Vliet all defense for sure. Uh so I I, I could have come with more had had you told me that this was what we were gonna do. Uh I'm gonna stick with Malachi for sure. All right. Uh cool. Matteo Roach, she's won 21 in a row, I think, as of this recording. Uh, Over half a million Americans. Yeah, uh, Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia. By way of Toronto, so like sort of like you. Your 23 year old uh, nanny in Toronto. Is she a nanny? I thought she was a tutor. Sorry, why did I say nanny? I meant tutor. A nanny of the brain. Um, (laughs) Why did I say nanny? Yeah, definitely tutor. I mean, they're both. Involve looking after or trying to coach up younger people. Yes. I suppose. Uh, she just passed Julia Collins the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, how much do you relate to her since, uh, you know, because her journey is, where is she from? Halifax? So you're not quite Halifax. She was originally born in Halifax, but her family's in Cape Breton. So. All, all right. I did not yeah. know that. Yeah. Uh, uh, she's awesome. Like, I just, I love her. <laughs> One of my friends walked by her on the street in Toronto the other night and was like, oh, my God, I walked by Matea. She had her earrings on because she has like trademark earrings, uh, yeah. which, yeah. And my friend didn't say anything because she didn't want to be weird. But she was like, I was freaking out inside. So, so yeah, very cool. Uh, no, it's just really fun to see someone from Canada, number one, but also from the province you're from. And she definitely um, has like mannerisms and like just like. The approach is very similar to people you're familiar with. And she also hates driving. Hey. Um, I don't know why I want to say, and I really like her and I'm rooting for her, but I like, it feels like this is the part of my brain that's damaged. Like, it's just yeah. like, well, yeah, we'll gonna... say all the things that annoy you about her, about this person you really like. Um, Eric, this is when you just don't. Okay. I'm not going to. Go I'm ahead. I'm not going to. Go ahead. No, I'm, but I'm this not is... going to do it. No, you have to now, but this is where you- I guess you're... my pet peeve about her game 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I will follow it up about something that I've liked. But my pet peeve is her saying after she gets a daily double right that she should have bet more. Like, like then bet more. Like that, That's fine. But you bet what you bet for a reason. It's really working for you, by the way. You keep on winning. That's the whole point. Uh, there's just like... But I think there, there is pressure there's on... A, there's a self-questioning element to her that I think... Is oh, no, no not a young not, woman who's the smartest woman in the room self-questioning herself in front of no, a large no, audience that's largely men. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> but we're not, this is, if you would have let me finish. <laughs> Go ahead. That, that we're not used to from Jeopardy! champions. Right. That, at, that at once I find both frustrating but also refreshing. Like, mm-hmm. like I, fi- I find it both at the same time. It's like, you're killing it out here. Just believe in yourself. But it's like... Oh yeah, I can see how you'd be like that too. Like, like I. But so- I do also think there's that, like, especially when you're on a run, like over a number of days and shows. I think there is that element of like you know that fans kind of love those players that like make big swings and big bets and like you know there's yeah, like, like the, that the James Holzhauer's of it who like full disclosure is like my favorite player right. in recent years just because like it was so memorable and so mm-hmm. gutsy in so many places. Um, right. Uh, but no, I think she's great. And I think I kind of bristled there, number one, because she's awesome and I like her a lot. Yeah, yeah. And number two, I uh, so I follow her on Twitter. If you don't follow her on Twitter, you should because she live tweets during the games, like going through like her process. Yeah, Amy, of, like, Amy Schneider, I think, was doing that as, yeah. as well. Um, it's very it's very fun to to um, follow along that way. And also she's just really funny and charming. Um I'm not Stan. following her just because I sometimes You're fall behind. behind. Yeah. Uh, I'm not right now, but sometimes I do, and I don't want anything to fall, uh, end up in me. To be spoiled. I mean, I'll probably, I'll be spoiled unless we see it the day of. Um, yeah. Which we ha- we've been trying to because she's on this streak. Yeah. Uh, so she's great to follow on Twitter, but I was typing her name in TweetDeck the other day to like just bring up her account. Yeah. And you know when you type in someone's name, if they've been... If people have like searched them a lot, like the, like the words that people searched with them will yeah, like yeah, come yeah. up and annoying was like the second, um, like mm-hmm. search result. And I was so annoyed cause I was like, these are stupid men and, yeah, and t- I'm not and saying to, you're a stupid man, but I'm no, just saying to be like, clear, like, I think a, a lot of the things that I find quote unquote annoying are the things that bother me about myself. So like, this is all just self-hatred, yeah, but, yeah, like yeah. disguised as like, but you're like, able to see that most people, yeah. most people cannot, but I think it's just annoying to me because I feel like you're on Jeopardy and Jeopardy's like such a special community of like genius people. And like, it's such a good welcoming world. Like I love following Jeopardy contestants and like just people who tweet about jeopardy and things like that but then there's always the people that like are not part of it that love to like criticize and shit on the people and it makes me so mad because it's like it's such a characteristic of our society and we shouldn't get into that because that's a whole different podcast yeah, but we're not Matea... talking about society uh <laughs> after the last uh that's know, bad <laughs> four, 44 hours let's say yeah that's bad uh Matea is amazing. I love I love this run that she's on. I'm so excited for her. Uh, and I would love her even if it wasn't the Toronto and, and Nova Scotia connection. I apologize for saying nanny. It's definitely Tudor. I love that she hates driving and just learned how to drive recently because I still do not know how to drive. Never learned. Never going to learn. Um, and also Formula One is in Miami this week. So that's uh, very exciting. Before we stop talking about Matea Roach, uh, oh, okay. one, 
like it's so rare to see that um so a champion on this streak like there have mm-hmm. not been a lot of runaway games comparatively i would say i think ken jennings pointed that out and can i just say like ken jennings should host this show um yeah I agree. he is like like no no slag to uh why mayam bialik i think ken jennings is so much more natural and so much more self-effacing and, and well he's also has a connection to it and the and, contestants yeah, that trans- are on it know him i think he's great at it and like is the obvious choice and I sort of leaned that way at the beginning, but after seeing him do it more, and especially since it's split 50-50 right now, like, I just think he's better at it mm-hmm. than she is. And again, no slight to her, but I think he's awesome. Um, but like Ken Jennings pointed out, like how few runaways there have been, which, you know, it's cool watching people go on runs, but at some She time, had a win by a dollar. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but part of that is just gambling. No, I know, but like, there's just been so so many crazy situations. Uh, one was where I think I think she was like the only person that um got to do final once, yeah. which is also crazy. Anyway, yeah. she's um, awesome. And the second the second thing is like I think it was Tuesday night, and the the best part I would say of the long running champions is like you actually get invested in the interviews. It's like, Oh, yeah. what are we going to learn today? You about get to person? learn more about them. And, yeah. she, and she was like, yeah, Julia Collins passing her was a big deal. Like, cause uh-huh. she was the standard bearer for women runs for so long. And then she was like, yeah, and obviously watching Amy Schneider was great. Uh, like leading up to my appearance on the show. And I think she's way better than me and she'll kill me in the tournament of champions. <laughs> and like at one point I was like, Oh, that's so endearing. And two, I do agree. I think Amy Schneider will kill you, <laughs> like, which is an insane thing to say somebody who's on a 21-game streak. Uh, and, and that goes back to my first point, which is like she's a different kind of of Jeopardy champion. It seems less dominant, which is kind of amazing. Anyway, go Matea. She's take great. It as, take it as far as you can. And uh, it's definitely memorable. Uh, Formula One, keep it quick, Holly. Uh, any thoughts? They're in Miami. They- that's all. Michael Michael Jordan uh, had was with Pierre Gasly today and had his hat on, had his helmet on. I don't know why, but looking forward to the to all the footage from that. Uh, it was making a potential Raptors Heat series that did not anticipate. Oh man, very, yeah, very complicated to find hotels for because when Formula One comes to your city right now, apparently it doesn't just take over on the weekend; it takes over the whole damn week. Uh, anyway, not my problem. Uh, that is whoever's covering that series. Uh, probably, I guess Rich Hoffman's problem. <laughs> uh, you can read his work uh, covering the Sixers at the Athletic. Uh, so our plan from here on out, we're going to probably take a little break here in May, uh, as the off season approaches, uh, or not the off season, but you know, the more event based off season, Mm -hmm. uh, we'll start coming back to you, whether that's the draft for which the Raptors have the 33rd pick, uh, we'll, we'll lead up to free agency too. We discussed that obviously today. Mm -hmm. Uh, we might have a few bonus episodes for you along the way. Let's do a Marvel app, Marvel app. (laughs) If we can find a reason. A Marvel app, a Jeopardy app, a Formula One app. Oh, man. I think we just did a huge Jeopardy episode. Yeah, I guess we kind of did. Hopefully you can can abide by that because uh, what's going on is pretty great. But yeah, expect a few weeks off from us uh, and we'll be coming back at you at some point in June after both of us will have turned a new age. Uh, which we're not we're not we're not saying out loud um cool 
Uh, but but certainly follow my feed, eCorine, on Twitter, and I'll let you know when there are new episodes. Uh, but I would expect, you know, mid-June, we'll, we'll probably get back at it. Uh, until then, Holly, uh, hopefully people enjoyed yeah. this podcast, uh, have enjoyed the season, and, and really enjoyed what the Raptors did this year, because that was a cool last season. It was awesome. Painful at the end, but awesome. Uh, well, 29 out of 30 ends are painful. <laughs> yes. uh, and yeah, that's the way it works. Uh, things. Sports. Mostly life. Um, that's, a, that's a good note to end things on. Holly, <laughs> thank you, as always, uh, for, for joining me on this uh, Wednesday afternoon. Yes, thank you for having me, as always. Everybody, thanks for listening. We'll come back to you in June. Uh, For now, this has been Jurassic Pod. See ya!